Welcome to the Hope Story Podcast, where we share resources, encouragement, and hope for families of children with Down syndrome. Here's your host, husband, dad, and founder of Hope Story, Rick Smith. Welcome to the Hope Story Podcast. It is just a little bit before midnight on Wednesday, March 18th, 2020, and I wanted to timestamp this episode specifically because we're going to be talking about the COVID-19 virus today. And information is coming out so rapidly that what we talk about today really may not be true. And all of the things that we talk about on this episode of the Hope Story podcast might not be true even tomorrow or a week from now. And so I just wanted to timestamp the episode so you knew when we were talking. And so one of the things that I thought would be really helpful because there is so much information out there on social media and online and all over the place about this virus, I thought it would be helpful to actually have a doctor. I think one of the best doctors in the world. I'm a little biased. She's my wife and also the mother of a child with Down syndrome onto the podcast to answer some questions as it relates to this virus. And so Dr. Abby Smith, my wonderful wife, welcome to the Hope Story podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. And so one of the things that I know that a lot of people are hearing out there is there are certain groups of folks who are at higher risk from severe illness from this virus. And and those people are those who are older adults or people who have serious underlying medical conditions. And so I think a question that is on the minds of a lot of parents that have children with Down syndrome is, are all children with Down syndrome included in this high-risk group simply because they have Down syndrome? That's a great question. And the answer is actually no. So Down syndrome alone doesn't come with an increased risk for severe complications from this virus. We have to look at the underlying conditions that are sometimes associated with Down syndrome to help stratify kids and if they are more at risk or not. And so some of the things we look at are the most common one, which is, is there an underlying congenital heart defect? If that repair has not occurred yet and is needed, that child's going to be at a major increased risk from severe complications. And so we definitely want to watch out for that kid. The other thing, if it has been repaired and your child is doing well, that risk is probably not as great. Another one to look at is, do we have any underlying lung conditions? One thing we can see is, is there asthma going on? Um, And we want to make sure that that asthma is well controlled and we're using our controller medicines daily if we need them, um, that we're not having acute exacerbations. If there's allergies that go along that trigger asthma, that we're controlling those. One thing that kind of applies to Noah. And and wait one second. Noah, in case you don't know, is our son, our nine-year-old, who happens to have... Down syndrome. So wanted to put that in there. (laughs) And so when we look at Noah, he has actually had a few pneumonias in his life. And so that puts him at more increased risk from having severe complications from this illness because of that history. That history led us to find out that Noah also has an underlying immune deficiency, and that is seen more frequently in kiddos with Down syndrome. It's not seen in every child, um, but it is more commonly seen. And so if that is the case for your child, which is where you've got frequent upper respiratory tract infections that often lead to ear infections or sinus infections or pneumonia, that I think you'd want to be very cautious with with this illness 
And then other ones that we can see with Down syndrome are, do you have diabetes? That has been associated with a higher risk as well. And even being obese has been a risk factor for this illness. And so it's not that one child is more at risk to actually get it. It's just that they are more at risk to have severe complications from the illness and likely end up in the hospital. So that's what we're looking at when we're looking at a child with Down syndrome. It's not just Down syndrome alone, but we need to look at what are the other medical concerns that go along with that child. That's really good information. And, you know, I'm just going to be honest with people that are listening is I tend to go to worry. I'm sort of a worrier. I can worry sometimes about things. I can worry about people that I love. I can worry about my son. And so when I hear high risk, it can be easy for me to go to some of the worst case scenarios. And so I think what would be helpful is when we hear high risk, what does that actually mean? What What is a high risk? High risk of what? You're looking at high risk for ending up in the hospital, possibly needing intensive care, um, which the main thing this virus is doing is affecting the lungs and causing a pneumonia. And so people are ended up intubated. They're also seeing a huge inflammatory response in people. And there's been some cardiac things that have been seen just based on the receptor that this virus binds to. And, you know, if you're more at risk for these things, you can then end up in the hospital intubated and whatnot. The good news is that we're not seeing a lot of morbidity with this illness with younger populations. So in China, the data that came out of there is that no one under 10 um, died from this. There was one child who died between 10 and 20, and then the values start to go up after 20. So age is the biggest risk factor for morbidity for this illness. Um, And so that has been reassuring to me because Again, this illness doesn't discriminate. Those with special needs and those without were equally getting affected in China, but we weren't seeing that data that people were ending up dead, basically, from this illness. Okay, so um, that's really good information. Thank you for sharing that. And so if I'm listening to this and I have a child with Down syndrome specifically that has an underlying medical condition, what does that practically look like for me? Should we self-quarantine? Should we not go to daycare? What what does that actually mean for us kind of day to day? Again, based on what you think your child fits into, if you feel that they're more at risk compared to someone else, even comparing that to someone else with Down syndrome, then you do want to be super cautious. So that child is going to stay home more likely than go to the store with you if you need to run out. So you're trying to keep that child in quarantine as much as possible. And so that just means that, you know, again, judging the risk, probably staying out of daycare right now, not going to school. I think most schools are closed by this point, but if your school is not closed, I think some international schools are not closed yet. That's probably a wise decision at this point is to see if you can stay home and just trying to protect that child. So when people come in from the outside, they are washing their hands. If they have been someplace where they may have been exposed to a lot of people considering taking a shower, um, changing clothes before they're interacting with that kiddo, just to add an extra layer of precaution. Okay. And so what about, so just now talking about children with Down syndrome in general, with or without an underlying medical condition, what about playdates? It's spring break for a lot of people. School may be out for an extended period of time. Kids are going to get bored around the house. Is it okay to go on a play date with my next door neighbor, kids across the street? What about play dates? 
Unfortunately, the answer is no. I know your kid's going to want to interact with others. And let's face it, children with Down syndrome love to hug. So they're going to be most likely making contact with these people. So I would say right now with what we know, it's probably best not to have play dates. If it's a family member that's coming into your house, that can be a little bit different. I would just try to limit that. Just thinking of by exposing to one person, who have they been around Who and who have the people that they've been around been around. And it's kind of like the contact of looking deeper of how much exposure are you letting your child have by just having interaction with one person. Um, and so I just think, yeah, play dates aren't the best idea, but trying to find other ways for your kid to interact with their friends. So, you know, let them FaceTime or Skype with their buddies. See if you can set up um, some of that or letting them talk on the phone and just getting that interaction that way. We've already, you know, today had some conversations with people through the phone and Grammy has FaceTimed with us. And so it's been great to see that. And I think there's definitely ways to get that social interaction right now. Yeah, that's really good. I'm a huge fan of technology. You know, if you have an iPhone or a laptop with a camera on it, it's really amazing that you can pull that out and talk to grandma or talk to your friends across the street using technology. And so I'd say if you have access to those tools, I know that not everyone does, but if you do, um, this is a really great time to really teach your kids and show your kids really great things that you can do with technology other than just, you know, watch YouTube videos all day. So you mentioned grandparents. Kids love grandparents. You know, our our kids love going to Grammy's house or Nana's house or to see Nana. What about taking your kids to see their grandparents? We know that we already said our older adults are in that high risk population. Do you think it's wise at this point in time to go see grandma and grandpa or should you limit it to only FaceTime or Skype calls? Is it okay to see grandparents? In my personal opinion, the answer is no. So anyone 60 and up is considered extremely high risk for this illness. They are the ones ending up in the hospital, intubated and having severe complications from this illness. So we need to do our best to protect grandma and grandpa. So my recommendation would be for them to be as isolated as possible. And the more people that interact with them, the more at risk they are. Children are being seen as asymptomatic carriers. Um, at this point, we're kind of seeing some data come behind that, that they may actually have the virus and they're carrying it, but they have no symptoms. And so going to grandma's house, having it, and then leaving it there and grandma getting symptoms would be heartbreaking for anyone. So I would say right now, just telecommunications with grandma and grandpa. Yeah. And I know that could be, you know, that can be really tough. And I think it is really important to, you know, maximize phone calls, maximize FaceTime, maximize send letters. You know, that seems pretty old school, but kids can color pictures and send them to grandma. I mean, there are some really creative ways that you can stay connected to your family during this time. And I think it's really important to use all those tools to do that, one of the things that I heard last night from a doctor on a news program I was listening to was he said, hey, just assume that you have it. You know, I could have this and not show any symptoms. I could be passing it along. Someone else could have it. They could be passing it along to me and to sort of have that mindset right now. Hope Story, we believe one of the greatest gifts for new parents of a child with Down syndrome is a friend who also has a child with Down syndrome and is a little farther along in their parenting journey. That's why we're working to connect OBGYNs with families raising a child with Down syndrome so they can connect their patients with parents who can offer friendship, encouragement, and hope. 
We call this the Hope Advocate Process. To learn more and to sign up to become a Hope Advocate, simply visit hopestory.org forward slash Hope Advocate. And now back to our show. So no to grandparents right now, no to playdates right now. There's a lot of working parents right now. There's a lot of parents that are in some tough situations with work and, and school being out. And there are a lot of parents that use daycare. We, we use daycare for one of our children that doesn't have Down syndrome. Noah's in the third grade, so he's not in daycare anymore. But what about parents that have children with Down syndrome that also use daycare? Is it okay to send their, your child to daycare? That's a tough one. So kind of depends on the circumstance. If there is another option for you, if it is a family member, someone who can babysit, something like that, the best answer is to have as few contacts as possible right now. However, if that is not an option for you, you just have to weigh the risk of daycare and understanding, one, we know that kids are not having serious consequences so far that we've seen. Yes, they're sick. Yes, they can end up in the hospital. But just is this a risk that you feel is appropriate for your family to take? Like, do you need to be at work? And this is the only option for you to get there. I have already written letters as a doctor to state to work that um, both parents need to be home due to the risk of their child. So if that is the case for you, um, if work is not allowing you to work from home or doing that, consider talking to your doctor to see if they'll write a letter for you that you can both stay home and work just to lessen the risk to your child. Um, That's a really easy thing for most doctors to do right now. So it's just, I know that's a hard one. And the best answer is, yeah, to keep them out of daycare. But I know that, you know, sometimes you just need to work and you need someone to watch your kiddo that you trust. Yeah, that's that's really good information. Thanks for sharing that. Well, what about doctor's appointments? And I want to be a little more specific as it comes to doctor's appointments, because I know there's several types of appointments. And so I want to ask first about just their yearly checkup, well visits. Should they cancel those? Should they go to those? Then I want to ask about maybe non-essential appointments. So things like maybe a dentist appointment or, you know, maybe just a yearly dermatologist appointment. Could you talk about those types of of appointments? So this is kind of going to depend on what your child does at those appointments. So we'll start with an older child who's probably well-established in their care. And so for someone over two, they're seeing their doctor once a year for their yearly well visit. They may have some follow-up depending on their underlying conditions with maybe endocrinology for if they have hypothyroid, if they have an underlying heart condition, they're seeing their cardiologist. If those visits are just routine, nothing's really done at them in terms of maintenance of medicines, things like that, I think it's okay to wait right now. And there's no urgency to them. You can go to them later. It's not worth going to a place where there's likely been sick people to get those visits done. If they require lab work or things like that to help maintain your child, like if you're, again, let's use hypothyroid for an example, you need the blood work to make sure that the medicines are working appropriately. That I think you could say, well, can I go get blood work and can we do this via telemedicine? So there's lots of laws changing right now so that your doctors can do virtual visits, can interact with you via even FaceTime right now based on some of the laws that are changing even here in Texas. So is that an option? Then I would say go with that. But there's if there's no urgency to your visit, 
I would be patient right now and say, okay, we're going to do this maybe this summer. Let's see how things are doing. Maybe even in the fall. Um, In terms of if you're having a new baby, there are some things that you're going to need to be checked out. And, you know, things like vaccinations when you're a baby. And if you are having a heart surgery that possibly needs to happen, you're going to need to see your cardiologist and to have different studies done. Those visits are more essential. And your doctor is going to be very concerned about exposing your baby and they're going to be as safe as possible. So you work with them to kind of say, when am I coming in? What is my risk for exposure? Are there things we can do to protect my baby? If you do go to the doctor, those are things when you leave, you want to wash your hands. When you get home, you probably want to change your clothes, wash your hands again. Maybe even consider giving your child a bath and doing all of that too, just to kind of wash off the germs. So it's going to be based on, again, what's needed for your kiddo. Routine eye appointments, if you feel like your child's not seeing well, you know, you're changing glasses or things like that. I think that is more important too. And those are going to be kind of safe places to go. People are going to be healthy going to their eye doctor. They're not typically sick. Other things like the dentist, I'd honestly be a little hesitant with the dentist right now because that's kind of one way this disease is spread is through droplet and mouths are open all over the place in the dentist. That's kind of the point of going there. So I'd be a little hesitant on the dentist unless there's a major issue going on. One last thing is the therapy appointments. So most kids with Down syndrome are doing physical therapy, occupational therapy, and possibly speech therapy. My opinion is probably right now, one, you don't want a person in your house who's going to multiple houses. That means that basically they have all of the germs from all of those places. So it makes me concerned to bring someone who's jumping houses right now to bring them into your house, not knowing where they've been, what's been in other houses. Clinic settings too. Our hope is that parents don't bring their children ill to their therapy appointments. They're supposed to stay home, but it makes me a little hesitant as well. I would judge the risk of your kiddo to make that decision. Also, if anyone is sick in your house, I would avoid those places too and be courteous to that, that you wouldn't spread germs yourself. One thing that I know a lot of therapy places are looking at is if they can also do telemedicine. Can they meet with you via FaceTime and Skype and tell you what to do and watch your kiddo and work you through some exercises? You can ask them for home routines. What can I be working on right now? Can you send me a document that has all these exercises that I could work on right now and you not come in into my house? And I think there's ways to protect your kiddo that way. Um, Even considering looking on resources online, there's a lot of guidance and books that are available that you can do your own therapy at home and work on stuff. So I think looking for other sources rather than bringing people into your house right now or going to a location that puts your kiddo at risk is something to kind of be hesitant about, be wise, and obviously think through and just be cautious. That's really good information. There's a lot of tools and resources out there. There's a couple of books that I especially like that we'll put links to in our show notes. Gross Motor Skills and Children with Down Syndrome, A Guide for Parents and Professionals, Early Communication Skills for Children with Down Syndrome, Fine Motor Skills for Children with Down Syndrome. Those are all really, really great books written by some really great folks. And so we'll put links to those if you don't have those depending on the age of your child, those could be really great resources. And so there's a couple of questions that I'm going to end with. I'm going to roll both of these questions sort of up into one question. And they are, when should I call my doctor? For instance, if my child has a fever, if my child coughs one time, should I call my doctor? And then when do I know if my child needs to have a test for COVID-19 virus? Those are great questions. So what's most important to know about this is that it is a virus. We do not have a magic treatment for it in terms of like 
Let's say you have pneumonia. We're giving you an antibiotic that makes you get better. This is a virus. There are some ideas out there they're working on right now to see if they work to treat this virus. And we'll probably see some amazing things in the next few weeks about what they're using to treat this. But currently, there's actually nothing that I can give you to help you get over this. Your body is likely going to do a great job of getting rid of this virus on its own. So what we really care about are symptoms. So the most common symptoms that kind of trigger us to think of this virus is do you have fever? cough, and shortness of breath. One thing for shortness of breath, just to kind of know what that looks like, is if your child looks like they just went and ran around outside, but they have been sitting in front of the TV, that is shortness of breath. So they're breathing hard and you have no reason why. So those are kind of the big things that we're looking for. So if your child is having those symptoms, I would call your doctor and talk to them on the phone. I would not show up at your doctor's office. You need to call first because if your child does have this, if you show up in the doctor's office, you have now exposed all of those people there to this virus. So always call first, talk to a nurse, tell them what's going on and see if they recommend what you should do next. Depending on your contact exposure, they will decide if you need to be tested. Currently, there's not a lot of testing going on The CDC is kind of guiding us for that. And we basically are asking permission. And unless you have a direct contact, have been internationally abroad or have contact with someone who was internationally abroad, you likely will not qualify for a test. This is going to change. I think we're going to be able to test more rapidly soon where it doesn't matter about those. But we are just so limited right now in our testing ability that we can't test everyone. So If your child has fever, has a cough and a runny nose, and they're doing okay, they're drinking, they're not breathing heavily, they're basically acting like themselves, but you know that they don't feel well, that can be watched at home. And that's when we say, hey, you need to stay at home until your child has been feeling better for several days. It's not fever-free for 24 hours. It's going to be, we've been fever-free. Our symptoms are improving for more than 72 hours. We even are saying like from the start of like, let's say your child doesn't have fever. We're looking at seven days past when symptoms start before you want to start thinking about your child not being contagious. So what we really need is for people to stay home. And that's how we're flattening this curve. If we can keep this virus in our houses and not spreading rapidly, If for some reason we have them, that is only helping the medical professionals take care of the people that really need to be taken care of. And so what this does is it slows the spread. If we can stay at home and it keeps the all the people from getting super sick all at once and overwhelming the healthcare industry. So that's what they keep talking about on the news, flattening the curve. That's why we're all hanging out at home. Um, And so we're hoping to protect those individuals who are more at risk, who most likely might be your child, so they're not in the ICUs and they're at home hanging out, not getting sick. You know, that's really helpful advice. Um, One of the things that you heard her say was flatten the curve. And so if you go to coronavirus.gov, you know, I think we would just be strong supporters of what our government is currently saying, 15 days to slow the spread. And they say, if you feel sick, stay home. If your children are sick, keep them at home. If someone in your household has tested positive for this virus, keep the entire household at home. If you're an older person, stay home and away from other people. If you're a person with serious underlying health conditions, stay home and away from other people. And then they also talk about social distancing, washing your hands, et cetera. And so we'll put a link in the show notes on our website to the information at coronavirus.gov. If you haven't had a chance to check that out, 
please check that out. We'll put links to other information that we find, and we'll update that list as time goes on. If we come across new resources that may be helpful, we'll add those also to the show notes. Again, things are changing so quickly. Even what she mentioned about the limited availability of testing, that may be radically different in even just a few days from now. And so if we come across helpful resources, we'll be sure to add those to the show notes. All right, Dr. Smith, anything else that you'd like to say to parents that are listening to the podcast? Wash your hands. Just kidding. No, really, do wash your hands. But also, I don't want you to worry too terribly about your kiddos. And the most likely instance is that your kid's going to be fine. Children are having really mild responses to this virus and are doing fantastic. And so I know it's scary and with everything that you're reading in social media. But if by chance your child does get sick, be hopeful and, you know, ask your doctor if you need to be seen and kind of follow their guidance. And we'll be thinking about you. Indeed, we will be thinking about you. One thing I want to mention as we wrap up here is that if you have any concerns, any specific questions, it is very important that you reach out to your child's pediatrician or if it's about you, to your uh, healthcare provider. My wife is a really great doctor, but she's not your doctor. And so it's always best to talk to someone that knows you best or knows your child best if you have any specific questions. And, you know, I want to encourage you, you know, I know things have really changed recently in our society. We're in a time that is really unprecedented. And, you know, I really want to encourage you to enjoy this time with your family. You know, we have three children. Things are a little bit hectic here at our house. Our schedule is different. Things look a little bit different. But at the end of the day, I get some quality time. We get some quality time as a family uh, in ways that are different than what we typically would. We're in the house more. We're not going to places. We're just sort of here together. And so I would encourage you as a parent to really think about the opportunity that you have and to really be creative in how you use this time with your family during these days. I think you're going to be able to really make some special memories in, in ways that you that you wouldn't typically. And so, you know, I want to encourage you to make the best of the days ahead of us. Uh, we're here for you. If we can help in any way, send us an email, hello at hopestory.org. If you're listening to this before March 21st, which is World Down Syndrome Day, man, we want to celebrate with you. We're releasing a new video called To The Next Me. You can find that on our Facebook page at 7 a.m. Central Time. We think that'll bring a smile to your face. And we would love to hear from you at any point. Again, our email address is hello at hopestory.org. And be sure to check out our show notes at hopestory.org for additional resources. And we will talk to you again real soon on the next episode of the Hope Story Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Hope Story Podcast. On our website at hopestory.org, you can find this episode's show notes, subscribe to our email list, and learn about how Hope Story is working to connect every OBGYN in America to a family raising a child with Down syndrome through our Hope Advocate process. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please be sure to leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe to our podcast. We'll be back soon with another episode of the Hope Story podcast.